Father, Lord, I thank you so much uh, for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. God, I thank you, Lord, that we can sing and be reminded of the goodness of the cross. God, where it was a place of death, Lord, you made it a place of life for us. So God, I pray that this morning as we open your word, God, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, God, and hearts that are fertile soil for the gospel. Um, God, we can do nothing of our own, but we are dependent upon you. God, shape us, mold us, create in us a clean heart today, God. We love you. We ask that you would sanctify us in truth, and your word is truth. And all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat here uh, as we get started. And so if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, I serve on staff here. My name's Cole uh, as a student minister. And so it's always a privilege and a pleasure to get to open God's word with you on Sunday. Uh, I love doing this. This is what I love to do is preach and teach. Uh, And so hopefully by God willing one day, maybe we'll plant a church of our own uh, and to see God move and work. Uh, But today we're gonna be in Romans chapter 10. I'm gonna invite you to turn there uh, in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible in that little seat in front of you, uh, either to the left or the right of you, there should be a Bible there. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 10. That's where we're gonna spend our time this morning. Uh, And so we're gonna jump right in. And so this week, uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been working through a sermon series entitled Reset. You'll see that on the screen behind me. And so over the last couple of weeks, what we've been able to really do is talk about and really see where does our church, how do we live, move, and have our being? How do we operate? If our mission is to preach the gospel and make disciples, what do we do? How do we accomplish that? And that vision is fourfold, that we would gather, what we're doing right now, we would grow, we would give, and we would go. And so our first week, we talked about gather. Taylor talked about that. Uh, And then the second week was grow, and that was Dave. I love Dave Eatman. That's my man. Uh, And then third week, we had give, which was Taylor last week. And this week, man, y'all got, y'all got, y'all, Y'all drew, drew the short straw. You got the student guy up here for Go, okay? All right, but uh, we're gonna be looking at Go from Romans chapter 10, and so I'm excited for us to dive in. Uh, it's gonna be up on the screen with me. I'm gonna read from our church covenant, our membership covenant, what Go looks like for us. It says, we will go. We will endeavor by a pure and loving example to seek the salvation of our family, friends, and neighbors. We will also seek to bring back those who wander from the truth, thus saving their souls from death and covering a multitude of sins. From our homes to the ends of the earth, we will be faithful to fulfill the great commission and we covenant together to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. Y'all, we will go. And from our text today in Romans chapter 10, we're gonna see that God has entrusted us to be on mission with the message that saved us. God has entrusted us to be on mission with the message that saved us. And so we're gonna begin, we're gonna jump in, starting in Romans chapter 10, looking at verse five is where we're gonna start. We're gonna read through verse 13, and then in natural suit, y'all, we're gonna chop it up and see what the Lord has for us. And so Romans chapter 10, starting at verse five. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Verse nine, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. 
For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so the first part that we're gonna see from our text this morning is the inclusive message of the gospel. The inclusive message of the gospel. So when we talk about inclusivity, we always, all of us desire to be accepted in, to, to have people bring us in, to be cared for, to be loved. And so this inclusivity is something that we long for. And Jesus is basically saying, hey, like, guess what? This message is for everybody. It's inclusive. And so when we begin to look at this inclusivity, this gospel that we see, we're gonna begin to see it because it's inclusive because all are needy. All are needy. And in verse five, Paul writes, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Here in these verses, Paul references Moses in the Old Testament here to reference the fact that like, if you were to live a righteous life, you had to be perfect. That the law was the measuring rod, and so if you did not live it to a T, then guess what? You messed up. Uh-oh, there ain't no hope for you. You are unrighteous. And so righteousness was a level by which, like, hey, if you could muster up enough unction in yourself to be righteous, then, hey, good for you. But the reality is, is that that can't be true for us. And why is that? That's because of sin. It's because of our disobedience. And so sin in our hearts, what it really naturally bends us to is to be in opposition to God's design. See, even in our best efforts to be good, we miss the mark. If righteousness is perfection, we are always unrighteous because no matter how good we try to be, we cannot be perfect. See, our constant striving to be a good person, it may be seen like a really good thing, but at the end of the day, if perfection is still the goal, if perfection is still the measure, it leaves us wanting. It leaves us striving. And honestly, it's very draining to try and be perfect, is it not? Because all of our striving for righteousness ultimately only leads us to see our imperfection that we can't actually make it. And so when we look at this, I think about camp this past summer for our students. We went out to journey camp uh, out in Tacoa Falls, Georgia. And so one of the games we got to play that night uh, was called Espionage, okay? Espionage was a really fun game. It's a game where the kids, uh, students, uh, they're not quite kids. I guess some of y'all, they are you kids, right? Uh, but they get a little cheerio. Uh, and the goal was to make it from the gym, which is like central part of campus, down to the lake, which is down towards the far end of campus. And so uh, the goal of all the leaders was to spread out throughout the whole avenue to get to the lake. Uh, and what they would do is they would try to make it past us. But if we said stop, they had to stop. Okay, when we said stop, they had to complete a task. And so for some, hey, it was, hey, let's do some burpees. For some, it was, hey, sing Taylor Swift. For some, because we rock out with the speaker, it's like, do the cha-cha slide. But uh, my favorite one was like, our students, they really didn't come to us. They were like trying to stay away from us. But like the students that didn't know us, they'd come up to us. And my favorite thing to do with them would be like, hey, what's my middle name? And they'd be like, that's not fair. And I'd be like, yeah, you're right. Crush, Cheerio is gone, okay? So every time that they would do something, they would try and get past this situation where they fulfilled a, a movement or they fulfilled an activity to its perfection. But our, our way of like being the leader, like we were able to see like, hey, that wasn't right. So like you did a burpee, guess what? You didn't do chest to deck. Like that's not, it's crush, okay? Uh, you, I, you missed that word in Taylor Swift, crush. Oh, I, I just don't like the way you said my name, crush. You know, whatever it may be, like there was some level of like, there was imperfection that was found within their activity. And so this is the same way with us. We strive and we strive to do good, but like it leaves us wanting. It leaves us with our Cheerio 
crushed. And for our students that night, there was no one who made it all the way to the lake. And so they weren't very cheery with us at all that night, right? And so, uh, but we look at this at the end of the day and we see that Paul begins to show us that righteousness, righteousness by the law for ourselves cannot be attained. We cannot be good enough. We may do almost everything right, but the one slip up leads us to a state of unrighteousness. And that's really where he points us back to in Deuteronomy chapter 27. He says, cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of the law by doing them. And all the people say, amen. If we say that we are going to live by God's design in order to have righteousness of our own, y'all, there is no room for mistake. There is no room for uh uh-oh. It's you're either perfect or you're not. And that's where he continues on in verses six through seven. He says this, he says, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. It's simply in the way that Paul is communicating this, he is saying, hey, if, if Christ is the perfect offering, the perfect sacrifice, you can't do that on your own. You cannot be the sacrifice because you're not perfect. And in the same way, he says, if you were to go into the abyss to bring Christ up from the dead, guess what? You don't have the power to resurrect yourself from the grave. And so it's basically showing us, this part of the text is showing us that we are powerless when it comes to this standard of being perfect, of being righteous. We're all needy. We can't do it on our own. And this is where we kind of come to this place where we see Romans 3.23 that echoes throughout all of our minds. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is not a single person in this room, in this world who has ever lived, who ever will live, who will not make the mark. All of us will miss it. There was only one person who did, and that was Jesus. And the reality is, is that we all miss the mark. And so no matter how good of a person we think ourselves to be, y'all, that, that is a clouded view. When we think that we are good, all that is is sin clouding us to see the reality that we're not as good as we think we are. And we are all needy. So it's inclusive because it involves every single one of us being needy. But the beauty of this inclusivity now is that because we're all needy, guess what? We are all welcome. We're all welcome. That's what we begin to see in verses eight through 10. He says, but what does it say? The word is near to you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For while righteousness in and of our own works could not be attained, faith is near to you. The word of faith is near to you. This simply means that we need to stop looking down the path of, hey, I can do it on my own and I can make life work to then look at Christ and say, he did it for me. Where I couldn't be righteous, he is completely righteous. That is what we have to look to. This faith, this this word of faith that he is going after is really talking about the gospel. It's really pointing us to the fact of like Jesus has done it all. Because when we look at the gospel, we see that, hey, we aren't righteous. We are sinful. We can't measure up by God's, like we cannot live up to the perfection. But yet Jesus would step onto the scene. God would come out of heaven and step into his creation and live a perfect life and do everything right. No misguided thoughts, no misguided judgments, no misguided actions. And instead of getting the riches that he deserved and all the glory from people here on earth, what did he meet? He met being spat upon and being cursed 
and being beaten and ultimately being nailed to a cross for us. That he would be nailed to the cross, his blood would pour out, that our sins might would be forgiven. And then he'd be laid in a tomb and three days later would resurrect to new life. This is this message of faith that Paul is talking about. It is near to you where you feel like you have to try and make it on your own. Guess what? It's so close to you, you're hearing it right now. You don't have to do it because he's done it. And it's through faith in him. It's through the message of faith. It is through faith in Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection that you can be saved from your sin. You can be saved from bondage. And this is really what we see in verses nine and 10. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You see, God transforms us from the inside out. Belief takes place in the heart, not simply just in our knowledge and in our mind. It's something that's going on in and within us. This means that belief is God's work. He is changing us from the inside out. He's moving in us. You see, when he changes our hearts, when he transforms us, now we proclaim the goodness of the king. Now we proclaim the goodness of the gospel. An important note to make here is that true belief matters. Belief matters. And it's not simply that you believe, but what you believe. You see, believing in the right things, everybody believes something. Everybody believes something. What you believe matters, though. Let's play this out. We live in the South, okay? Everybody would raise, well, I shouldn't say everybody. Let's not overgeneralize everybody, okay? But people will raise their hands and say, yeah, I'm a Christian, for sure, 100%. Like, what you believe? I believe in God. Oh, that's theism. That's not Christianity. When you think about what you believe, do you think and do you answer the questions of, has Jesus done everything necessary to save you from your sin? Is the answer yes or no? Do you believe that Jesus is who he said that he is? I mean, he's not just some good teacher. He's not just a good dude. But that he is God and he is the creator and sustainer of the world that he laid down his life for you? Do you believe that he resurrected to new life? This is verses nine and 10, that you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. If you can answer yes to those, hey, you're a Christian. If not, then we need to have some conversations because you haven't believed in the true gospel. People will live their life going to church day in and day out and never actually believe the gospel. I pray that it is none of you. And it's not me. I pray that that is not us, that we would sit in pews and sit in chairs and hear empty talk and not hear the gospel. This is the word of faith that is near to you and what you believe about it matters. You see, this is now where we begin to see that believing, like believing the right thing is important. What you believe is of most importance. But what's beautiful about what we believe is most important is that it's offered to everybody that all are welcome. Romans 10, verses 11 through 13 say this as we've continued in the passage. For the scripture says, everyone. Everybody say everyone. everyone. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Why? Because he bore your shame. For there is no distinction. Everybody say no distinction. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is beautiful because anyone can believe. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. 
The, belief, the opportunity is here. The gospel is here. Jesus in your place. This is the good news that the Jews at this time, and unfortunately, they didn't believe this. They thought the, Jew, like the, the gospel was only for them. Jesus came to only save them, the nation of Israel. The gospel was for them. But guess what? Jesus blew it all up. He said, look, I'm saving all these people from everywhere else too. Not just you. But that's the reality that we live in. Is that the gospel is not for a specific race, nationality, socioeconomic status. Like it's not for all that. Like it's for everybody. This means that the gospel is for the business person but it's also for the lifeguard. It's for the school teacher just as much as it is the trash attendant. It's for the religious, but also the atheist. For the conservative, just as much as it is the liberal or progressive. It's for the refugee, just as much as it is for those of us who have just lived in America and been Americans our whole life. It is for those who look like you and don't look like you. The gospel is for everyone. All are welcome. If it's your first time in this building or if it's many times in this building, I hope that you've had the opportunity just to take a peek at the words as soon as you come in the door, uh, right before you come in the door on the right side of the red doors. I'm gonna throw these words up on the screen uh, and we're gonna, I'm just gonna read them to you because this is, this is the reality that we see is that to all who are weary and need rest, to all who are empty and long for hope, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a savior, we open wide these red doors. In the name of Jesus, the friend of sinners, welcome. Y'all, we desire for everyone from all walks of life, no matter the worldview, no matter what you come from, to walk through these doors. Why? Not because like we're perfect or anything like that, but because we know the one who is perfect. Because when they walk through these doors, they're not just meeting Cole or Taylor or Dave or anybody that stands up on the stage or even you. Jesus stands with nail-scarred hands and feet and says, welcome. That's how we long desire to be like Jesus. If Jesus says, come, then we should say, come as well. That's what actually what he says in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says, come to me all. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus' call is simply to come, to come to him, not clean yourself up and then figure it out. Not like, hey, I need to make sure I dress a certain way before I come to church. Jesus' call is simply come because I've done it all for you. You can't do it, I've done it for you. This is what we long to be like as a body of believers here at Cross Community Church, that we would echo the words of Jesus saying, come, because all are welcome at the cross. You see, we are all needy, but we are all also welcome. This is the inclusivity of the message of the gospel, and it's beautiful. And let's continue reading in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 10. Paul writes, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard, have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So we've seen the inclusivity of the message of the gospel. Now we see the exclusivity of the mission of the gospel, the exclusive mission of the gospel. We begin to take a closer look at this. We see that this is really a cycle, and we're gonna get there in just a moment. But God uses a cycle in order to bring people to him. 
It's pretty cool as we begin to look. But we begin to see is that uh, in this text, there is, a, there is a connection between a sending and a calling. If we work, we're gonna work backwards through the text here because we're gonna work sending to calling. But there's a connection between you calling on the Lord and someone being sent to share the gospel with you. There is a connection here. And this is gonna be this go for us this morning of like this sending, this go part of the text. This is where we're driving to. And so let's look at it. Let's start back from verses 15, work through verses 14, work through 15 to 14, and we'll see the cycle of mission. It starts first with sending. It starts first with sending. You see, God sends us on mission. Each and every follower of Jesus has been sent. And being sent simply means that you have been caused to go somewhere for a purpose. You're going somewhere for a purpose. And like I said, this is that go portion, sending, going, no matter the location that we find ourselves in, whether it be in your home, your work, the gym, school, ball fields, restaurants, no matter where you are, you're in a specific place for the purpose of making people know who Jesus is. As a follower of Jesus, that is your purpose. It's to let other people find the hope that you have found in Jesus. God has sent you there. He has placed you there for the purpose of Acts chapter one, verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will tell other people of what you have seen and heard. You will tell other people of the transformative power that I've had in your life. That is what Jesus is beckoning them in Jerusalem and some Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, as followers of Jesus, we are to make him known here and afar. To put it simply, y'all, we are in Beaufort for the world. You are in Beaufort right now for a reason and a purpose, but God may call you to go somewhere else. And it's still gonna be for his purposes and his plans. Guys, there are going to be churches that are going to be planted out of cross-community church. And God may ask some of you, you need to go. You need to go with them. It's gonna be uncomfortable, but you need to go. Will we answer the call of God sending us? Because right now he's got you sent right here in Beaufort. For some of us in the room that are military, y'all are gonna PCS, and guess what? God's gonna send you to your next place, whether you like it or not. And that burdens our hearts because we love you. But God sends you. You have been sent. There's intention behind it. God sends you. The way that uh, one of the pastors that I, I love listening to, his name's J.D. Greer. And what, the way that he kind of frames all this up with sending is we should always have our yes on the table wherever you say God. And we say, you put it on the map. Yes is on the table, he puts it on the map. It's a hard prayer to pray, especially in the comfort of our beautiful Beaufort. But the reality is, you guys, is that we look at sending sometimes with, with some of the wrong mentality, especially if you've grown up in the church. Man, we've had vacation mission trips. Like, that is so wrong. Where we look at places that we want to go and like we end up putting that place up on the pedestal uh, in like our home and, and like we're just like, man, like look where I went. Like it's some trophy or some badge of honor to go somewhere specific like that. But the reality is it's not the place that's the trophy, it's the message. And so we've gotta like reorient our minds of like, hey, when I'm being sent, it's not about necessarily where I'm going because God's gonna use you no matter where you are. But it's the message that you're sent with. And that leads us into our second piece is preaching. So we are sent, but now there is preaching. 
Next we see preaching, and it's not mainly like what I'm doing up here or what pastors do on staff up here uh, from the pulpit or our lay elders. This is not primarily what this passage is talking about. It's not sitting here talking about like us just talking to everybody. This is a simple declaration, a proclamation of the gospel, which means that each and every one of us have this opportunity to proclaim the gospel. And this is exactly what Jesus tells us to do in Matthew chapter 28. He says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. You can't make disciples by being silent, okay? Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them, again, cannot teach them by being silent. To observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When we look at this text, this go isn't strictly just a straight command of like, hey, go somewhere else. It's actually more like interpreted as as you are going. As you live life, make disciples. Proclaim the gospel as you go, sharing it with other people that you meet, your family, your friends, the random person you meet at the gas station. Share the gospel with people. And the reality is, y'all, is just like Matt said, this is a non-negotiable for followers of Jesus. It may be uncomfortable, but it is a non-negotiable. Because we're all wired a little differently. Some of us are more extroverted. Some of us are more introverted. But guess what? The gospel doesn't give room for caveats like that. It doesn't give you a, hey, check the box if you're an introvert. You don't have to share the gospel. You're good. And that's not a knock to my introverted friends because I've learned that I'm more of an introvert than I ever thought I was, okay? so. But the reality is, you guys, is that there are no spectators in the mission of God. There are no spectators in the mission of God. Think about it like a game. Think about it like a football game. There is nobody on the sideline. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're not on the sideline. You're not in the stands. You're on the field running every single play. There are no spectators in the mission of God. And this simply means that our natural disposition towards interacting with others, and nothing gets us off the hook. We are called and commanded to share the gospel, to preach and to proclaim the gospel. We are sent with a mission to preach. The next thing we see is that people hear, hearing. Paul is saying that the gospel now must be communicated in such a way that people can understand the message. Our communication of the gospel matters. Hear me say that. The communication of the gospel matters because people need to know what is true and what is not true and what we are saying and what we are not saying. See, our sharing of the gospel will lead others to hear, to contemplate, to think of where do they hang the hopes of their lives on? Do we hang the hopes of our lives on Jesus or do we hang our hopes of our lives on ourselves? See, this is the point of sharing the gospel because it changes the way that people think and view everything because we are transformed from the inside out. People here, they have the opportunity to now make a decision. See, we are obedient to share because no one is ignorant that God exists but people are ignorant of God's saving grace. Catch that. People aren't ignorant that God exists. People are ignorant of God's grace. And we see that really in Romans chapter one, verses 19 through 20. Paul writes, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Everyone innately knows that God exists. Everybody. We see God in creation. 
We see all that he has made and it beckons us to seek him out. That's what we see with, with people from other religions and other walks of life. They, they are seeking to find God, whether they realize it or not, but they are finding nothing. Find something that will leave them hopeless still. But the gospel. The gospel is where we find the hope. This is where truth lies. Absolute truth lies here in the gospel. The thing that people are searching for, y'all, we have and have the ability to give it to them, and they just need to hear you say it. They just need to hear us say it, y'all. It's not about a pulpit, y'all. It's about the daily walk of the believer. Like we come, like we come in here to be equipped, and then we go and we all do ministry. We are to share the truth of the gospel, and we share, y'all, but we rest in the fact that God saves that God does a work. And this is really where we move from a place of our obedience into us, our trusting of God. The next thing we see is believing. Believing. Through hearing the message of the gospel, someone can believe. As noted earlier in this passage, Paul writes in verse 10, with the heart one believes. But this belief isn't just some aloof belief. It's not a noncommittal action. It's a belief that holds on to, that's, that's firm. It's a transformative belief that changes us from the inside out. That's where we get like in, in our Southern religion, there's just enough of a gospel vaccine in us where we're like, yeah, I'm good. I know who God is. That's what we talked about earlier. That's just theism. Like that's not the gospel. When we have a transformed life, our belief drives us to continually desire to be in his presence, to run after him. This means that it's not a Sunday faith. It's not a, hey, I'm gonna walk in a building on a Sunday morning and I'm just gonna be good. It's like, y'all, like we walk with Jesus because he has done everything for us. Hearing leads to belief because God is working in and through us. Belief in the heart is like this. From Ezekiel, you see a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. In Ephesians 2, you see death to life. That's what we saw in baptisms on the video. People showing that declaration that they've gone from death to to life. We sang about it in Christ and Christ crucified. There's no other way. In Matthew 13, we see where we have nothing. We would give everything to have him. We would sell all that we have to find the treasure in the field. That's what it's like to have a transformed heart, to truly believe, to have genuine belief in the gospel. Calling on the Lord is the outflow of a heart that is believed. It will come out. When we get saved, y'all, like, it should be exciting like emotion should certainly not drive a decision, but emotion should definitely be an outflow of the decision. And I'm not trying to say you gotta cry or nothing like that. I'm just saying like, y'all like, we should be real happy. You see, this is the cycle that God has worked on. It leads us to the last piece, which is calling. So we would call on his name. And this is that exact outflow that we were just talking about that this cycle would cause us, this calling that God has placed on our heart. Like we, we call upon him, we're saved, we, we believe, we hear, we preach, we sin. Like that is like the flow, the cycle of like we have been, somebody was sent to us, they preached the gospel to us, we heard it, we believed, and now we call on his name and guess what, now the cycle starts over again. 
Because each and every one of us can look to people who have done that very same thing for us. And that's really where we get to at the end of this passage in verse 15. He says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So that's point number three, the beautiful feet of those who share the gospel. This passage here where Paul is writing, he really references Isaiah chapter 52, verse seven. This is what uh, is penned there. He says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings the good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. You see, the people had been in captivity in this text. They had been in a place of enslavement, And now they were hearing the good news that their enslavement was about to be over because God was setting them free. God was letting them go back to the land, to go back to the Holy Land, go back to Jerusalem. They were in captivity. They were going from agony to celebration. They were excited about what God was about to do. And so when we look at this text, the, the feet, the beautiful feet are the people that were going to tell them to share with them the message of the gospel. The beautiful feet aren't just like, it's not just like Jesus' feet. It's like, hey, like, no, like, as you go and share the gospel, your feet are the beautiful feet that are looking to share the news of freedom where there has been captivity because all of us have been held captive to sin. But Jesus breaks that. You're no longer in bondage anymore because of the gospel. And so your feet are beautiful because you share a beautiful message. It's not simply about your going. It's how you go, what you go with mainly. And that's the message of the gospel. That's what makes your feet beautiful. And so now uh, we get to this place where we start to wonder like, man, what does this mean for me? It means that we are like Jesus in John 3, 16, where we proclaim that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should what? Not perish, but have eternal life. But this is the beauty. We always, oftentimes forget verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world because we were already condemned because of our sin. But in order that the world might be saved through him. This is what we have the opportunity to proclaim. This is like, when I, when I think about this beautiful feet thing, y'all like, ain't nobody perfect at this. And like, I'm certainly not perfect at this. Uh, but it reminds me of a time when I was in college where uh, I was an RA on our hall uh, man, uh, I texted him this week. I said, hey, Luke, man, you mind if I share your story? And he said, man, by all means, share it. And so there, there was a young man who grew up in the church. Uh, man, I mean, I was in his RA, and so we were hanging out. He a star volleyball player, like, could crush it. Great dude, played on the team at Liberty. Um, but we, we just had, like, open conversations all the time about Jesus and what was going on and how he came from and all that stuff. And so one day I was like, hey, man, like, let's just start reading the Bible together. Let's just start reading, reading, reading through John. So we're reading through the book of John and we're having conversations. We're meeting like every week. Like, hey, like we're gonna read this chapter of John every day, all week. And we're just gonna talk about it when we meet together. And so throughout that time, we talked about like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean for our lives to be transformed? What does it actually look like for me to place my faith in Jesus? And there came a night where we, we came and we were hanging out and me and my RA partner were there and, and we were just reading and talking about the scripture. And he's like, man, like I haven't believed this. We got to Nicodemus. He said, be born again. He said, that ain't been real for me. I just know a lot of Christianese. I just know a lot of church. But I haven't known this Jesus who wants to make me new. 
And there in my dorm room, he, he was on his, hand, his knees, and I, I said, hey, man, look, I ain't leading you in no prayer, dude. This is up for you and God, okay? And so there in my dorm room, man, a weeping 18-year-old boy said, Jesus, I don't want to live my own life anymore. I want to live for you. I trust in your saving work. See, the text message I got later that day as he texted me back as we were kind of going back and forth, he says, man, you don't understand the encouragement that I have from this because I cherish the moments where you and KJ just love me and share the gospel with me. People stand on the stage are not perfect. That's one instance. You have the same opportunity because we are the church as a whole. Members meant to send out for what? To do ministry, to share the gospel with other people. And so what do we do with all this? Where, where do we land the plane at here? The question you have to be able to answer is, have you believed the gospel? Have you believed the gospel? Like, have you just had belief in God? Have you had just had Southern fried religion? Have you believed something else? Have you believed the gospel? That's the question we really, all of us have to wrestle with, is have I believed in Jesus' work on my behalf? That is the only avenue of righteousness. In my need, he welcomed me. And in his welcoming, he shows his nail-scarred hands and feet. Have you believed the gospel? Second thing we can do is pray for opportunities to share the gospel. You start praying that prayer, it's gonna happen. But the reality is, you guys, is that we don't just need to be praying for opportunities. We need to be praying for people specifically who we're trying to share the gospel with. Who's, who's your one person that you wanna share the gospel with this year? Who's the one person that you say, Jesus, I want them to find life in you like I have found life in you? And pray for them. Pray for their heart. Pray for God to do a work. Because there's nothing that you can do to save them. It's only him. So we pray for opportunities to share the gospel, but then we also must be the beautiful feet sharing the gospel. Praying shows our dependence. Sharing shows our obedience. We must be dependent upon God, but then also be the, the follow through. Be the beautiful feet. I feel like I, I heard this growing up all the time. I just wanna pray for somebody to be in their life. Y'all, you are the person in their life. What do you mean? Like, we're like, oh, somebody else go do it. Like, God's called you to do it. And so y'all like, this is go. This is why we go. The question is, will you go? Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for all that you've done for us, God. We don't deserve your grace. We don't deserve your mercy, but yet you've given it to us anyways. God, I pray that even this morning, under the sound of my voice, for those who don't know you, who don't follow you, God, who haven't surrendered their life to you, God, that today might be the day. God, that they would see that there is no righteousness in and of their own. God, they must come to you to find that and that perfect relationship that they can have with you, that you have loved them better than anyone else ever can. But God, I pray that you would stir our hearts to go. God, you have sent us. We are all sent. God, I pray that you would put people on our hearts, God, that we would pray for them, God, that we would share with them the good news of the gospel. 
God, thank you that you go with us, that we don't do it on our own. You tell us that you're with us to the end of the age. And so God, continue to fulfill your promise as you always do. Stir our hearts and stir our affections for you. It's in Jesus' name I pray.